podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. It really does mean a lot. And if it's your first time joining us, welcome to Forza Napoli. Also, welcome to Season 2. We're really excited about it. It's our first full Serie A season, so it should be a lot of fun. On today's episode, we'll start with the latest news around Napoli, including a recap of our Napoli ladies' second Serie A match against Fiorentina. We'll also cover the latest news in Serie A, and in Europe, we'll cover the Women's Champions League final, which was played on Sunday. In Part 2, we'll provide an update on what's going on in the transfer market, and in Part 3, we'll recap Napoli's friendly matches against Castel di Sangro and L'Aquila. We'll also cover the 4-2-3-1 formation and the new kits. So let's get into the news. On Wednesday of last week, Napoli officially presented new signings Victor Osiman and Amir Rahmani. I'm going to start with Rahmani because I think he was an excellent signing, but it's been lost in all the hype around Osiman. We actually did a player profile on Rahmani way back on episode 3, so if you're interested in learning more about his football journey, definitely go back and check that one out. In his interview, Rahmani talked about his time at Verona. He said he didn't expect such good numbers, he just played his game as usual and gave it his best. In terms of his characteristics, he said he's an aggressive defender who's strong in aerial duels. When asked if he can play as a defensive winger, Rahmani said at Dinamo Zagreb he played on the left, but he's ready to give what the coach wants from him. He did say it's easier to play on the right, but he can also play on the left. He was also asked what's missing at Napoli. His response was there's not much difference between Napoli and the other clubs at the top of the table. Napoli is already a great team, which was proven by the Coppa Italia win. Finally, he said that when Napoli spoke to his agent and expressed their interest, he was sure that Napoli was his first choice and he did not think of anyone else. So that was Rachmani's conference. Like I said, Victor Osman also spoke to the media. He said he has an excellent relationship with De Laurentiis and Gattuso. They're like fathers to him and they're the reason he chose Napoli. He feels like he made a big leap moving to Napoli. It's a dream come true and he's happy to play in any role. He also spoke highly of his new teammates. He said he has fantastic companions and that he's been surrounded by affection. In terms of his style of play, he said he defines himself as a footballer who loves team play. He has a never say never mentality. He's not interested in money. He just wants to give his best. He also commented on his fitness given that Ligue 1 cancelled their 2019-2020 season, so he hasn't played a competitive match in about 6 months. He said he continued to train at home, and while he's not 100% fit just yet, he's pretty close to it. Osman added that they are training at a high level and he can't wait to give his best on the pitch. On racism in Italy, he admitted that he was skeptical, but when he visited the city and when he spoke to De Laurentiis and Gattuso, his point of view changed. He added that racism will not limit his career. Finally, he was asked if he would enter the hearts of fans with a goal against Juventus. Osman replied that many fans have written to him about this and that he has every intention of helping the team, maybe even scoring against Juve. 
From what I've seen online so far, Osman seems to be fitting in very well. He's all smiles. The players have a bit of an initiation they do with new signings where they have to sing in front of the rest of the team. And Osman had no problem doing that. He even gave a bit of an encore. And I know it's just training, but even there, he's a killer goal scorer. By the way, most of those quotes were recorded by Simone Guadagno, who's been an excellent follow during the retreat. Moving on, on Monday, Napoli officially announced something that we already knew, which is that Piotr Zelinski has extended his contract until 2024, and the speculation is his salary has increased from 2 million euros a year to somewhere between 3.5 to 4 million euros a year. Finally, on Monday, De Laurenti spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss, where he talked about Italian football as a whole. He said Serie C needs to be fixed, it has no reason to exist. He suggests instead that there should be two groups in Serie B. He added that Serie A should be reduced to 18 teams and have fewer relegations. He also commented on the international break where he said it's ridiculous to call players to the national teams at the end of August and give them back in mid-September. He specifically called out UEFA president Alexander Seferin on this. I'm sure this was fresh on De Laurentiis' mind after 12 players departed from the training retreat in Castel di Sangro for international duties. Here's a quick rundown of the players who left. Alex Meret, Giovanni Di Lorenzo, and Lorenzo Insigne joined Italy. Nikola Maksimovic joined Serbia. Elsid Kusai joined Albania. Mario Rui joined Portugal. Elif Elmas joined Macedonia. Stanislav Lobotka joined Slovakia. Piotr Zelinski and Arkadiusz Milik joined Poland. Fabian Ruiz joined Spain. And Dries Mertens joined Belgium. Next, let's do a bit of a training report. On Wednesday, Mario Rui returned to training after picking up a minor knock on the first day of training. Fabian Ruiz left training on Wednesday with lower back pain. He returned on Thursday, but only participated in part of the group training and the other part was personalized training. On Thursday, Fabian and Maksimovic only worked out in the gym while Mario Rui did personalized training in the gym. On Friday, Napoli played their first friendlies of the summer against Castel di Sangro and L'Aquila. We'll cover those matches in more detail in part 3. As I just mentioned, after the match, 12 players left Castel di Sangro for international duties. They were replaced by the following players, Primavera center-back Alberto Seneze, midfielder Mario Prezioso, who just returned from a loan spell at Cosenza, Alessio Zerbin, who spent last season at Cesena, 17-year-old Primavera winger Giuseppe D'Agostino, striker Franco Ferrari, who returned from a loan spell at Livorno, Luca Palmiero, who spent last season on loan at Pescara, Primavera midfielder Valerio Labriola, midfielder Francesco Mezzoni, who returned from a loan at Pontedera, 19-year-old Lorenzo Sgarbi, he spent last season at Sutirol, and 19-year-old Primavera centre-back Alessandro Zanoli. On Sunday, Manolas left training after picking up a minor knock, but he completed the training session from start to finish on Monday, and Andrea Petania may rejoin the squad after two tests for COVID-19 came back negative. The club is debating whether he should join the squad or wait for the retreat to end. We'll close the Napoli news segment with a quick recap of Napoli's second match day in Serie A Femminile. Unfortunately, we lost our second match to start the season, this time to Fiorentina, who finished runners-up last season. Napoli's Anna Martinez nearly opened the scoring right off the opening kickoff. She did well to dribble past the Fiorentina defender, but her shot just missed the far post. Napoli did open the scoring in the 19th minute from a set piece and once again Martinez was involved. She played an in-swinging cross from the left side of the box which Emma Errico got ahead on to beat goalkeeper Stephanie Orstrom. Fiorentina equalized in the 31st minute with a set piece of their own. Tatiana Bonetti's left-footed cross found Daniela Sabatino just inside the top of the box 
and her header beat Napoli goalkeeper Emeline Meingey. Fiorentina went ahead on an unfortunate own goal by Chiara Groff just before the break. Credit to Sabatino for pressuring Groff off the ball. That forced her to play the ball back to Meingey, but Groff didn't see Meingey was standing at the top of the box, so the pass went straight into her own goal. Fiorentina nearly scored a third from a corner kick just before the break, but Elisabetta Oliviero cleared Valerie Bigilucci's header off the line. Fiorentina really began to impose their will in the second half and scored their third only five minutes in. Napoli were caught off guard when Bonetti played a quick free kick to send Marta Mascarello clear to the goal, and she fired past Mangi to make it 3-1. That was her second in as many matches. Fiorentina scored their fourth from the penalty spot in the 56th minute, after Federica Caffaretta fouled Claudio Neto in the box, Sabatino stepped up and converted the penalty to score her second of the match. Sabatino completed her tripleta in the 59th minute after Friedrich Thorgensen did really well to cross the ball just before the byline. Napoli pulled one back in the 66th minute. Emma Eriko's shot smashed a crossbar, but Despoigne Chatsinkolao was there to head in the rebound. It was too little too late though. This one finished 5-2 for Fiorentina. That was their second win in two matches, which puts them top of the table because of their goal differential. Meanwhile, Napoli have lost their first two matches, which puts them third from the bottom because of their goal differential. Moving on to Serie A, there was an FIGC meeting on Monday where the dates of Italian football were officially confirmed. As we knew, Serie A will commence on the weekend of September 20th and end on the weekend of May 23rd. The Coppa Italia final will be played on May 19th. Serie B will start on September 26th and end on May 7th, and Serie C will start on September 27th and end on April 25th. On Wednesday, September 2nd, we should be getting the full Serie A calendar, so we'll provide an update on that next episode. We also have an update on broadcasting rights, which is a story we've been following for a while now, and we will continue to do so. The latest development is that there could potentially be six bids to participate in some form or another in the ownership and or financing of Serie's media company. That's great news for the league as more competition means higher bids. We already knew of British fund CVC who's partnered with Advent and FSI with the help of Rothschild. We also know about Bain Capital. Both CVC and Bain are bidding for a minority stake of the company. And by minority, we mean 10 to 15%. According to Calcio e Finanza, both of these funds are looking to impose their own governance structure, which sounds a little bit ridiculous considering the stake that they're bidding for. The other model we already knew of is the financing model, where Apollo is proposing to provide financing in the form of private debt. Now there's a third model, which is a bit of a hybrid of the other two. Fortress has created a mega consortium with private equity giant Apex Partners and Three Hills Capital Partners to offer a 1.7 billion euro bridge loan. However, they will be looking to secure the next broadcasting contract in return. A fifth offer, also a hybrid model, is expected from Sixth State, which is a branch of another gigantic American firm, TPG Capital. In other news, last Wednesday, Fiorentina won the Primavera Coppa Italia for the second consecutive year. That was the first trophy win for Rocco Comiso and Primavera coach Alberto Aquilani. We'll close the Serie A news with a fun fact, which was tweeted out by Giuseppe Pastore. With the appointment of Rolando Maran as Genoa manager and with the confirmation of Conte at Inter, this will be the first Serie A season since the 1988-89 campaign where there will not be a coach in Serie A from Toscana, which is rather remarkable when you consider that Allegri, Spalletti, Sari, and Mazzari are all Toscano. Finally, in Europe, the final of the Women's Champions League was played on Sunday. 
We were hoping to see Jordan Huitema in the final. She happens to be the girlfriend of men's Champions League winner Alfonso Davies. Unfortunately, PSG were eliminated by Lyon in the semifinals. So Lyon advanced to the semifinals to play against Wolfsburg, which was okay too because Lyon also have a Canadian on the team in center back Kadisha Buchanan. Lyon dominated the match, opening the scoring in the 25th minute. Wolfsburg defender Dominique Janssen overcommitted on the tackle, which allowed Lyon to get forward. Delphine Cascarino cut the ball back for Le Somme, whose first shot was stopped by Wolfsburg keeper Friedrich Apt, but she gave up a big rebound. Le Somme was first to get to the ball and finished in the bottom corner. Sammy Kumagai made it 2-0 just before the break with a perfectly placed strike from the top of the box, and once again Cascarino had a big role in the buildup. Wolfsburg looked a bit better at the start of the second half and pulled one back in the 57th minute. Pernille Harder made an incisive run on the left wing before finding Fridolina Rolfo. The young keeper Sarah Buadi spilled the cross which fell for Ua Pajor. She played the ball back in and Alexandra Pop headed into the back of the goal. Leon put the match away in the 88th minute. Sarah Gunas-Dotir deflected in Le Somme's shot to make it 3-1, which is how this one ended. This was a fair result. Wolfsburg played better in the second half than they did in the first, but Leon dominated the match. I thought one of the few bright spots for Wolfsburg was Anna Blass. She worked hard all match for Wolfsburg, but Leon left back Sakina Karshui did an excellent job shutting her down. That was Leon's fifth consecutive Champions League title and their ninth in the 20-year history of the tournament. So that will do for the news. In part two, we'll provide an update on the transfer market. market officially opens on September 1st which is the date this episode was released but the Mercato has been very active already so by the time you hear this there could already be changes to what's been reported. Let's start with the big news over the weekend which was the confirmation that Alain will be sold to Everton. Alain has been linked to a reunion with Carlo Ancelotti at Everton for a while now. The first sign we got that a deal was close to being done was on Friday when Alan was the only senior team player not to participate in the friendly matches against Castel di Sangro and L'Aquila. Then on Saturday, the ever-reliable though not perfect Fabrizio Romano gave his famous here we go tweet. The deal is not official yet, but according to Fabrizio, there is a total agreement with Alan to be sold for 25 million euros plus bonuses and medicals have already been scheduled. Alain's agent Juan Jamelli cast some doubt on this, saying we are still in Pozzuoli and I don't know why this news has spread. Of course, we are well advanced, 
but there is still not even agreement with the player. But then on Monday, De Laurentiis himself confirmed in an interview with Radio Kiss Kiss that Elan will indeed go to Everton. At left back, Rai Sport is reporting that Napoli have reached an agreement with Legia Warsaw's Mikhail Karbonik. The reports are that Karbonik would earn 500,000 euros a year in salary and would cost 7 million euros to buy, which would be close to a record fee for the Polish league. However, other sources are saying that Napoli won't purchase a left back until they sell Fauzi Gulam, who has been linked to a move to Wolverhampton. Napoli's prime target at left back is Real Madrid's Sergio Reguilon, who spent last season on loan at Sevilla, where he won their Europa League and was one of Sevilla's standout players in the process. A couple of other names have been put out there that don't seem likely to come to Napoli. One is Ajax's Nicolas Taliafico, but that one appears to have been fabricated by the media. On Thursday, Taliafico's agent said there have been no contacts with Napoli. Another name is Dinamo Kiev's Vitali Mikolenko. However, in an interview with Radio Punto Nuovo, Mikolenko's agent confirmed that while Serie A is the perfect league for Mikolenko, they have not been contacted by Napoli either. At right back, the soap opera with LCQ Sai continues. One day he wants to stay, the next day he wants to leave. His agent, Mario Giuffredi, told Corriere del Mezzogiorno that Kusai would like to stay another year with Gattuso, who has given him confidence, but it is difficult to reach agreement on the renewal of his contract, as the parties are pretty far apart. So those are the fullbacks, let's move on to the centre-back position. According to Corriere dello Sport, Fali Ramadani, who is the agent of both Kaladu Koulibaly and Nikola Maximovic, is scheduled to meet with Juntoli this week. For Koulibaly, the conversation will be about Manchester City, of course. According to Alfredo Pedula, City have offered 60 million euros, while Il Matino say they've offered 73. Il Matino also claimed that this is a final take-it-or-leave-it offer. On Maximovic, he supposedly wants to stay at Napoli, but there is a gap between what the club is willing to pay and what the player is willing to accept. Moving on to the striker position, there have been some new reports on this front. You can't really talk about Milik without talking about Roma and Juventus. The latest is that Eden Dzeko would be willing to join Juve, but he's also perfectly happy to stay at Roma. I thought John Solano from AS Roma Press made a great point as a guest on Calcioland when he said that Dzeko earns 7.5 million euros a year in salary, so in John's mind, Dzeko is more likely to stay than to leave. Juve's finances aren't great, but I still think that they take that salary on. So Roma are not desperate to sell Dzeko and will only do so if they can acquire a replacement like Milik. There are conflicting reports about Milik to Juve. One report claims that Pirlo called him directly, which led De Laurentiis to say that Milik will leave on his terms, otherwise he'll sit on the bench. Another report says that Milik has been released from his agreement with Juventus and is now willing to join Roma. Juve have probably given up on a swap deal with Napoli for Milik as the parties just couldn't seem to agree. The only player that seemed to work for the deal was Federico Bernardeschi, but he himself was not interested in a move to Napoli. Moreover, he's already sold his image rights to Jay-Z's media company, Rock Nation, and as we know, De Laurentiis insists on the club owning the player's image rights. Mino Raiola, who became Bernardeschi's agent a few weeks ago, had lunch with De Laurentiis, Juntoli, and Gattuso last Wednesday. The rumors heading into that meeting were that Raiola wanted to put Bernardeschi back on the table, but after the meeting, the reports were that he's still not interested in Napoli. If Milik is no longer tied to Juve, then Roma does seem to be the most likely destination. Roma supposedly valued Cengizunder at 30 million euros, Napoli valued Milik at 40 million, which leaves a difference of 10 million. 
The latest speculation is that Roma value 19-year-old midfielder Alessio Riccardi at 10 million euros. Just like Roma questioned the value of Unas, De Laurentiis is now questioning the value of Under and Riccardi. He claims that the two of them together are worth 30 million and therefore the sides are still 10 million euros apart. And according to Gianluca Di Marzio, De Laurentiis wants Under, Riccardi and 20 million euros, which is definitely posturing from De Laurentiis as we know that Napoli value Milik at 40 million and that deal would return 50 million euros in players and cash. De Laurentiis is onto something though, this deal was discussed on the latest episode of Roma Press and they basically explained why Riccardi has no future at Roma and if they can get 7 million euros for him then they should take that deal so clearly Roma is overvaluing him as well. By the way, that's why I listen to other clubs podcasts even for rivals like Roma because they always know their players best. According to Corriere dello Sport, Roma CEO Guido Fienga is speaking to De Laurentiis on a daily basis. Fienga, along with Ryan Friedkin, who is the son of new owner Dan Friedkin, are currently responsible for transfers while the club searches for a new sporting director. Former Roma and Napoli keeper Morgan De Sanctis is an option for the sporting director role, though it sounds like he might fill the role only on an interim basis. Moving on to Jeremy Boga, the latest there is that Napoli have increased their offer from 25 million euros plus Adam Unas to 30 million euros plus Adam Unas. I doubt that will be enough though. Sassuolo value Boga at 40 million euros, so with the original offer, Napoli were valuing Unas at 15 million euros, which Sassuolo never agreed with. The new offer effectively reduces the valuation of Adam Unas to 10 million euros. However, during the process, Atalanta have apparently entered the fold and are reportedly offering cash plus Matteo Piscina, who returned from a loan spell at Hellas Verona. If that's not enough, there remains competition from Borussia Dortmund, Marseille, and Monaco. Juntoli is considering alternatives in case Napoli don't get Boga, and the latest rumor is Antonio Candreva, who is set to leave Inter. On Friday, there was a meeting between Juntoli and Candreva's agent, Federico Pastorello. We'll close part 2 with a couple of quick hits, I still see reports about Jordan Vertu, but as we noted a while ago, he intends to stay at Roma, so I wouldn't invest too heavily in those reports. Corriere dello Sport are reporting that Napoli are interested in Gaetano Castrovilli and would be willing to part ways with Diego Demme to get him. While I think it's true that Napoli would like to have Castrovilli, because who wouldn't, I otherwise think this rumor is entirely made up. We'll talk more about the 4-2-3-1 formation in part 3 but I suspect that's what's fueling the Demis speculation. Like the Vertu rumors, don't get your hopes up on this one, Castrovilli is one of Rocco Camiso's untouchable players. According to Tutto Sport, Genoa sporting director Daniela Fagiano flew to Napoli to deal with Adam Unas, Fernando Llorente, and Amin Yunis. Tutto Sport are also reporting that Serie A newcomers Spezia are interested in centre-back Sebastiano Luperto. Finally, you can add Robin Koch to the list of Napoli targets who are no longer available as he just signed with Leeds United. So that's it for part 2. In part 3, we'll recap Napoli's friendly matches on Friday.
Okay, so in the final part of the pod, we'll talk about the triangular friendly between Napoli, Castel di Sangro, and L'Aquila. For those who weren't able to watch or don't know how it works, the Triangolo is a series between three clubs who each play each other in a 45-minute match, so the effect is that all three clubs end up playing 90 minutes. Castel di Sangro play in the 6th division of Italian football in the Promozione Molise, and L'Aquila play in Serie D. In the first match, L'Aquila defeated Castel di Sangro 12-0. That was followed by the two Napoli matches. Mario Rui, Nikola Maksimovic, and Fabian Ruiz did not suit up, as they're all dealing with minor injuries. As we mentioned earlier, Alan was the only senior team player to not participate with his impending move to Everton. So the first match was against Castel di Sangro. For this match, Napoli started Alex Meret in goal, Di Lorenzo at right back and Cusai at left back. Sebastiano Luperto was paired with Kaladu Koulibaly in the middle. Diego Deme and Piotr Zielinski played in the midfield. Amin Yunus played on the left wing. Matteo Politano played on the right wing. And Gianluca Gaetano played behind Arek Milik up top. Adesso Deme, che invece è tedesco, ma di famiglia italiana. Il 4 con l'esterno. Apre per Di Lorenzo. In area di rigore Di Lorenzo. Il gol del 2-0. A distanza di due minuti dal vantaggio di Politano arriva anche il raddoppio di Giovanni Di Lorenzo. Testare il campo è sempre Younes. Primo palo va in avvitamento di Lorenzo e poi sull'errore di Romito Culibali fa gol 4-0. That was Di Lorenzo, Koulibaly, and Gaetano scoring three of Napoli's goals in the 10-0 win. Politano scored a tripletta and Milik scored a brace, but he also missed a number of chances and was jeered on his way off the pitch. Amin Yunus also scored a brace and was stopped on a penalty kick. As we heard in the highlights, Koulibaly scored a bicycle kick from the goal line after the ball bounced off the crossbar. Di Lorenzo got one and Gaetano got one. About midway through the half, Alex Meret was subbed off and replaced by Contini, though neither had much to do as the ball was in the opposition half for most of the match. Castel di Sangro goalkeeper Gabriel Romito became a local hero for the saves he made on Milik and Yunus. He spoke to Calcio Mercato after the match. He talked about how they are not professionals and they play for the passion they have for football. He also talked about how he got to shake everyone's hands and how Alex Meret gave him his jersey and told him he's a great goalkeeper, which I thought was really cool. The second match was against L'Aquila. For this one, David Ospina started in goal. Gulam started at left back and Kevin Malqui started at right back. Costas Manolas was paired with Amir Rachmani in the middle, which could well be the starting center back duo if Koulibaly is sold. Lobotka and Elmes played in the middle. Insignia and Lozano played on the wings. And Dries Mertens played in the number 10 spot, just behind Victor Osimhen. Segna subito un minuto di partita Osimen il gol più veloce per un debuttante in maglia Napoli in area di rigore Osimen 2 a 0 Mamma mia Osimen che forza e che velocità sta sconquassando la difesa dell'Aquila la sta sconquassando Questo di Men ne salta un altro Osimen in area di rigore Osimen scatenato Osimen 
tripletta per lui. So that was Osman scoring three goals in under eight minutes to help Napoli to an 11-0 win. During that stretch, Dries Mertens scored the first of his two goals in the match. Both were vintage Mertens curling strikes to the far post. Lorenzo Insigne also scored a tripletta. One of his goals was a cheeky little chip while the other two were tap-ins. Lozano also scored a brace with both goals being assisted by Osimhen. I know L'Aquila is a lower division squad and they were a great sport, as was Castel di Sangro in their match, but I thought the combination of Osimhen, Insigne, Lozano and Mertens worked really well. They combined for 10 out of the 11 goals, with the other one being scored by Gulam on a header. Surprisingly, Ospina actually had to make a difficult save in this one to preserve his clean sheet. What was really interesting to see was the 4-2-3-1 formation. I must admit, when I heard the rumors that Gattuso might use a 4-2-3-1 to help Osimhen, I was a little bit skeptical, but it worked really well, albeit against a vastly inferior club. You could see that there was a clear intent to play the long ball, and what stood out to me more than anything else in the second match was Osimhen's pace. What's really impressive is that he's not just fast, but he also has excellent ball control while he's running at pace, and can finish or pass on the sprint. Now, I wasn't skeptical about whether the 4-2-3-1 would work because it is very similar to the 4-3-3 and it is a formation that Lille used quite a bit while Osimhen was there. The reason I was skeptical though was because of the change in personnel that this formation demands, namely replacing a midfielder with a forward. With Dries playing in the number 10 spot, only two positions are left to be shared between either Deme or Lobotka and Zielinski or Fabian. The reason I frame it that way is because Zielinski and Fabian do not have the defensive capabilities for both of them to start. I therefore think that one of Deme or Lobotka would need to start to both support the back line and to provide a link to the other midfielder and to the wingers. So that leaves one position available for either Zielinski or Fabian. We just extended Zielinski's contract and the plan is to extend Fabian's. Even if the plan is to sell Fabian next summer, if he doesn't play his value will drop ahead of a future sale. But if we start Fabian, now we're paying Zielinski 3.5 to 4 million euros per season to sit on the bench. It just so happened to work out on Friday because Fabian had a minor knock that kept him out, but normally he would be expected to start, and also because we had two matches to turn over the entire lineup. The only way I see this formation working is if Fabian plays in the number 10 and Mertens plays the role of super sub. Alternatively, we could stick to the 4-3-3 formation. Osman showed last season with Lille that he can adapt to different formations. In 40 matches across all competitions, Lille used a 4-2-3-1 in 22 matches, a 4-4-2 in 13 matches, and three other formations for the balance of the season. Osman scored 10 goals in the 4-2-3-1 and 7 in the 4-4-2, so it seems he can score in different systems. If I had to venture a guess, I'd say Gattuso uses both formations. When Osman plays, we use the 4-2-3-1 and the long ball to take advantage of his pace, and when Osman is not starting, or when he gets subbed off, we use either Mertens or Petania in the 4-3-3. Between Serie A, Coppa Italia and the Europa League, there will be plenty of matches to play, and I have a feeling that Gattuso will rotate the squad, even in Serie A. We saw him rotate out of necessity at the end of last season because of the condensed schedule, but despite 6 or 7 changes to the squad between each match, Napoli still earned results, which is a testament to the depth of this squad. It also helped to minimize injuries, so I think Gattuso will continue to employ that tactic, though perhaps slightly less exaggerated. The last thing I want to talk about is the new jerseys, which we saw on full display in these two matches. On Thursday, we had the long-awaited jersey presentation. Napoli were one of the last clubs to release their new jerseys. Some clubs have been releasing their jerseys one at a time, while Napoli chose to release all three at once. 
The presentation was pretty underwhelming for a couple of reasons. First, the pictures were leaked about a week prior to the official presentation, so we already knew what they looked like. When the pictures were first leaked, Napoli Tifosi expressed their disappointment, particularly with the red Letta logo on the blue shirt. The hashtags Letta Out and Letta in Bianco were trending. But when we saw Gattuso and Tommy Starr rocking the shirts in training, and we saw the entire squad wearing them for the friendlies against Castel di Sangro and L'Aquila, they looked much nicer in real life. In play, you hardly even notice the Letta logo is in red. They're still not my favorite. Aside from the Letta logo, I'm not a huge fan of having so many Kappa logos all over the kit. The other reason the reveal was disappointing was because the club apparently didn't think it was necessary to take new pictures of the actual jerseys. Instead, they took older photos. In the case of Fabian and Zielinski, they used the exact same photos from last season's jersey reveal and simply photoshopped the new jerseys on top. But at the end of the day, they still look really nice and I think we can stop talking about the jerseys. So that will do it for episode 38. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you have any questions or if you'd like me to cover anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 or you can find the podcast at Forza Napoli Pod. You can also find our new Instagram account, which is also at Forza Napoli Pod. So that's it for today. We'll talk to you again next week. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Network.